Well, good morning. Thanks for joining us. If you are visiting for a, the first time or newer, thanks for doing that. I know sometimes it's hard to walk into a newer place. And if you're joining us online, we appreciate you doing that too. So when I was in college, um, we had intramurals like everybody else, and basketball was one of them, and you'd have college students show up that were, some had played, and there was A division, B division, C division, and, but more or less there was kind of a homogeneous grouping. Well, I had a, a friend uh, one night who was playing, and uh, the football team had gotten together an intramural basketball team. And he said when they walked in, it was kind of like everybody had kind of stepped back. I mean, they had the NCAA 60-yard dash champion on their team. They had the former uh, state champion, the 100-meter dash. I mean, these guys could jump. They were athletic. And, and it was pretty intimidating. And it became very clear pretty quickly that these guys showed up to, to flex, to impress. Look at us. We're superior athletes. Yeah, we knew that because you got a scholarship and we didn't. But they were, as this friend says, I mean, they just, the whole gym just kind of stepped back and like, whoa. You know, 2,000 years, Jesus showed up. And as, as much as the football team was ahead of the rest of the group athletically, I mean, across the board, Jesus was way above. I mean, he, he spoke a word and, and, and a storm stopped, or he touched somebody and a, a fever was released. It just, why'd Jesus show up? Did you show up to flex? Did you show up to impress? No, not at all. Not even close. We're going to think about that this morning. Why did Jesus show up? So if you've got a Bible, if you'd open it to John chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 19, and we're going to go all the way through verse 34, asking this question, why did Jesus show up on earth? Why did he show up? Well, we started last week, we started a study that's going to last 12 years in the book. No, it's not going to last that long. About 33 weeks. Some of you were worried about that. Um, And what we saw is John spent three years with Jesus in public ministry. And he saw stuff that he thought, you got to know about it. What I saw, John says, convinced me that Jesus is the Christ, the eternal Son of God. And he said, I gave you a record of some, not all of it. I I couldn't fit it all in a book of what Jesus did. And and he said, I'm writing... So you might reach the same conclusion I did, that he's the Son of God, and in him you'd believe in him, and in him you'd have eternal life. So there's kind of a spoiler alert. That's why John wrote what he did. And in that, he introduced us, John, the writer of the gospel, introduced us to John the Baptist. And John the Baptist came because Israel had been without a prophetic word for God for 400 years. So he came to get them ready, to get their ears, and more importantly, their hearts accustomed to hearing from God. And John the Baptist has drawn some big crowds, getting a lot of, a lot of publicity. And that's where we're going to pick it up today. He's making the Jewish leadership nervous. Remember, Jewish Israel at that time was a theocracy. So the leaders had both spiritual and civil authority. That's a lot of control. You do me wrong, I'll kick you out of the congregation and I'll throw you in jail. That's a lot of power. And they had control, and, and this John the Baptist starts showing up and drawing crowds. It's kind of like, what is going on? That's where we are. Verse 19 says, this is the testimony of John when the Jews, the Jews is a metaphor for the leadership of the Jews, sent to him priests and Levites. These are people educated 
spiritually and religiously. Spent to, sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him this question. Who are you? Dude, what is going on? Who are you? So John uh, answers, verse 20, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I'm not the Christ. Okay, so we got a list of possible people. And once the the Christ, the Messiah. The Old Testament said there's a, a Messiah coming and, and Israel was looking forward to that and, and, and John says, no, 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 no. Just scratch that off your list. I, I'm not the Christ. Okay, got that down. Let, let's ask a couple more clarifying questions. First one in verse 21 is this. They asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? Who was Elijah? Elijah was a big time Old Testament prophet of God who did mighty things and maybe is most known for challenging the prophets of Baal. Baal was a false religion. The people were buying in. And so uh, Elijah said, tell you what, why don't, uh, 450 of you, you get together and you, you put yourself a sacrifice and you, you call on your God and we'll see what he does. And I'm going to do a sacrifice. I'm going to call on my God. So the prophets of Baal started first and nothing was happening. And, and Elijah said, why don't, you, why don't you cut yourself and why don't you yell louder? Apparently God's not hearing. And, and so half a day or so he said, okay, we're done. Okay, this, this isn't happening. My turn. So I get the sacrifice. He says, before we call on God, why don't you pour some water on it and pour some more water and pour some more until the thing's drenched. Then he calls on God from heaven and fire comes down and the people understand there is one true God. They slay the prophets of Baal and they return, at least for the time being, to the God of Israel. See, a big time name. Now, what happened is Elijah didn't die. God just took him to heaven. So this rumor that maybe, maybe Elijah's lurking Maybe he's going to show back up. So John the Baptist, are, are you Elijah? Could you be Elijah? And he said, I'm not. Okay, we're going to cross Elijah. Get cross him right off the list. But we've got another question. Are you the prophet? Now that is probably coming from Deuteronomy 18, 15 to 18. Israel had tried and failed to come in the promised land. Deuteronomy was the instruction. They'd give it a second try. And God said, by the way, in the day, there's going to be a prophet someday like Moses. And Moses was the guy who had just led him out of the promised land. And he had passed away and he was now with God. But someday I'm going to raise up another prophet like, like Moses. So John the Baptist, are you that guy? And the thinking was, golly, I mean, Moses led us out of slavery as a nation years ago, powerful nation, and we're, we're uh, now an occupied people by, by Rome, and we don't like that. We'd like to be autonomous, so, so maybe John the Baptist, are you that prophet who's going to, and John the Baptist says, uh, no, no, okay, so we're eliminating some people. You're not the Messiah. You're not Elijah. You're not the prophet. What's really on Israel's heart here? They want to return to autonomy. They want to return to self-rule, and they haven't had that for hundreds and hundreds of years. So at nine years old, 1969, I, uh, through various variety of circumstances, uh, fell in love with college football and became a fan and have been since. And because of that, I realized pretty quickly, Nebraska is a traditional power in college football. That was, I think they won a national championship in 70 and 71. I remember that as a kid. So they're really good. Well, we moved to town in 2002. It hadn't been going well for the Huskers in football. I've come not in the Glorious, but here's what I remember. They went from Frank Solich to Bill Callahan thinking, maybe, are, are you the guy to lead us back? No. So we'll, we'll try Bo Pelini now. Pelini, are you the guy? No. Uh, Mike Riley? No. Scott Frost. Scott 
frost. Nope. Um, what are we looking for? We're looking for somebody to lead us back to the promised land, right? Well, we're a legitimate top 10 team. We're a feared team. That's what Israel wants. They want it the way it was when they had autonomy. And they're looking, they're hoping, John the Baptist, maybe he's that guy. And in fact, they're going to put their hope in Jesus that he's that guy. And when they find out he's not, they're going to turn on him and crucify him. Okay, so they're trying to find out, we've been sent. Okay, we've eliminated, you're not the, you're not the Messiah, you're not Elijah, you're not the prophet. But we don't know who you are. Verse 22, then they said to him, who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us. We don't want to go back and say, we know, no, he's not this, this, and this. Well, we don't know. We, dude, we've been sent, we need, an, we need to give an answer here. What do you say about yourself? Okay, here's what John says about himself. Verse 23, he says, I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Well, what is that? Need context here. Isaiah was an Old Testament prophet. And in starting chapter 40 through 66, the back end of it, um, he had told him that 100 years before it happened, you're going to continue to disobey God and, and Babylon's going to come in and, and overtake you. And that's what happened in 586 B.C. But 100 years or so before that happened, Isaiah says that's going to happen and then you're going to be occupied for 70 years. You're going to be deported to modern-day Iraq. But then after 70 years, I'm going to raise up a new world power. It's going to be Persia. I'm going to raise up a king named Cyrus, and I'm going to name him 170 years before it happens, and he's going to say, yep, I'm going to grant religious freedom. Israel, you can go back to the promised land. That was an amazing work of God because it happened 170 years before it happened. And, and to commemorate that, Isaiah speaking metaphorically, make straight the way of the Lord. What's he saying? There's, as, as amazing as that was, there's another amazing work of God on the horizon. As stunning as that was, well, well, God's just getting started here with Jesus. John said, I, I, I'm the forerunner. I'm the predictor of that. You haven't heard from God in 400 years, and I'm getting you ready for the fact that God is going to do an amazing work among you. So, January in 1997, my wife and I went to language school in San Jose, Costa Rica. They were there until about August. About May of that year, Costa Rica is visited by President Bill Clinton. This is the first time in about 35 years a U.S. president has been to the tiny little Central American country of Costa Rica, and they are over the moon. For two weeks before Clinton's visit, it was the lead story. What are they, we doing to get ready for the visit from the President of the United States? The night he flew in, every news channel went to that. And, and they had the cameras in the sky looking for when does Air Force One come into Costa Rican airspace. And he lands, and there's Figueres, the president of Costa Rica, to meet him, and there's... A lot of circumstance. The next morning, uh, Clinton's got a motorcade. He goes through town. He visits a couple places. And by 2 or 3 o'clock, he's gone. And for the next two weeks, that's all they talked about. They interviewed st stores where Clinton went in to buy something and people he talked to. And it, I mean, this was a big deal for this tiny little country, for the president of the most powerful nation in the world to show up. 
There was no school that day. All the kids were out. They'd lined a parade route. President Clinton, if that's true with the President of the United States, how much more with the Son of God? Eternal Son of God shows up. John the Baptist said, get ready. Get ready. This is a big deal. He said, that's who I am. So, so, okay, they're getting a little clarity on who he is, but they got a theological question for him. Ready? Here, here we go, 24 and 25. Now, they had been sent from the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were experts in the law. They asked him, said to him, why then are you baptizing? Okay, you're not the Christ, you're not Elijah, and you're not the prophet. So what in the world are you doing baptizing? In the Jewish religion at that time, the only people that were baptized were Gentiles who converted to Judaism. Sometimes some sects who were into um, personal piety would self-baptize in a river but one Jewish person baptizing another, uh, we got no record of that. So, John, what's that about? Okay, John doesn't answer their question, but he uses their question to point them to Jesus. Verse 26, John answered them saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I'm not worthy to untie. Never mind about the baptism thing, why I'm doing it. That, that's immaterial. What you need to know is there's somebody who's coming who's so much greater than I am. Uh, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And me, my crowds, and the, the, the big news I am, I, I'm not even fit to, to uh, kneel down and, and undo the thong of his sandal. That was a position of humility. John the Baptist said, I'm not even worthy to do that. This one who's coming, he's a big deal. He's a big deal. It says these things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan where John was baptizing. Now, scholars will spend a lot of ink because this is not the Bethany. We'll see where Jesus hangs out is a different one and they, they don't know exactly where it is beyond the Jordan. I'm just comfortable saying it's a lost village that hasn't been found. Verse 29, then John will get specific. He's been fairly vague, but he'll get specific. And he'll answer why this Jesus is such a big deal, why this is such a big work of God. Verse 29, the next day uh, he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I he existed before me. Now, if you were with us last week, we talked about this. John the Baptist was actually born before Jesus, but he said Jesus existed before I did. He's saying it again. Well, why is that? Because Jesus is the eternally existent Son of God. Even though John the Baptist was born first, he says Jesus existed before I was because he's the eternally existent Son of God. But why it's such a big deal is Jesus is the Lamb of God, and that's a metaphor that every Jew would have understood. Because, see, each year they offered a sacrificial lamb for their sin. And the idea was you put your sin, your sin on that innocent lamb, innocent by nature, note that sentence, and then, then his life is taken in payment for your sin. And John the Baptist says this is all pointing to the ultimate Lamb of God. His name is Jesus. 
And he is innocent by choice. He's the perfect sacrifice. And with Jesus, we're doing away with all other lambs being sacrificed because this is where it's all pointing. In fact, the author of Hebrews said that, chapter 10, Hebrews 10, verse 11 says, For every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices, which can never take away sin. But he, Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until he, his enemies be made a footstool for his feet. Okay, here's the deal. For by one offering, that offering of his life on the cross, he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. This is why this is such a big deal. This imperfect sacrificial system, we can do away with it because we've got the perfect sacrifice. He takes away the sin of the world. He takes away that which keeps you and me from coming to God. So in 1986, I did a part of a mission trip to Turkey, and after, a bunch of us were going to go to Israel. We were so close, we might as well go to Israel. Um, eventually, that trip got canceled for security reasons. But I remember when we went into uh, Turkey, we put a page in our passport, which they stamped. That was our visa. Because if you, if you tried to enter Israel with a passport stamped from a Muslim country, they wouldn't let you in. That, that would keep you out. So then what we were going to do is when we left, we'd just remove that page, and they wouldn't see it. When we, that, 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 that stamp would have kept us from getting in. Well, your sin, it, it keeps you from being right with God. Jesus removes that so you can come into God's presence. Why did Jesus show up? It wasn't a, wasn't a flex. It wasn't to impress. It was to offer himself a sacrifice. Why did he show up? Here's what we say. Jesus was chosen by God. Here's why he showed up. Chosen by God to take away the sin of the world. Jesus showed up to take away the sin of the world, to have your sin put on him. You say, Andy, come on, come on, come on. Why can't we just say... We'll just call it good. You don't worry about it. I don't worry about it. We'll just call it good. I would suggest in a moral universe, that's not possible. When there is wrong, when there's hurt, when there is sin, somebody pays a price. So I'm in the parking lot, and I back up, and I'm not paying attention to my camera, and ding, I bang into your car. That's not bad. It's just a little dent. And you show up, and you say, hey, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. It's forgiven. Why, why can't it just be like it? Here's what I'd argue about that. Yet yeah, there's no money exchanged, but you bear the cost of me not paying attention. You'll now drive around with a dent in your car that doesn't look as good. It'll hurt the value when you try to resell it. Or you'll have to spend energy banging it out. Or you'll run the risk of your car rusting at that point. To say... No, 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 there's a cost. And when I backed into your car and you said, don't worry about it, you said, I, I, I'll bear that cost. Well, every time you sin, I said, there's a cost. Somebody's going to bear that cost. You just can't. Jesus is bearing that cost. And before a holy God, that's the only chance we've got. John goes on to talk about the fact that um, 
He didn't recognize Jesus until something happened. He didn't, he didn't know who he was. He knew he was coming. Verse 31. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. That's what I was doing. I was getting people ready. John testified, saying, I've been seeing the sun descending as a dove out of heaven, and he reigned, remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, he upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, upon him, this is the one who baptizes not in water, but in the Holy Spirit. Here's John. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. John the Baptist is saying, I saw it. I saw the Spirit come out of him in the form of the descend upon him. I, I was told I was the forerunner of this guy. And John, the gospel writer, is using the testimony of John the Baptist to point us to the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and in Him you may have life. So, so John, John, at the end of the gospel, he, he, he told us why he's right. Here's what he said. We looked at it last week. We're going to look at it again. This is the end of the gospel. John said, this is why I wrote. Therefore, many other signs. So there's, John's going to report a lot of stuff. But he said, there's lots more. I didn't have room. Uh, Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Why? But these have been written so that you may believe. That John said, this is why I'm doing it. That you... You and me and people throughout eternity, what? May believe, what? That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Why does it matter that I believe? Here's why it matters. And that believing, you may have life in his name. That's why he wrote. He's convinced he's the Son of God. And I found life in him, John, saying, and if you do too, if you believe in him, well, then he'll take away your sin. So all of us have pushed back. All of us have gone our own way. All of us said, God, you go your way, I'll, I'll do my thing. The Bible calls that sin, that willful disobedience, that, that passive-aggressive, whatever it is. Jesus came and lived the life we were supposed to live. Complete submission to the Father right up to the point where in a mockery of his trial, he was found guilty, quote-unquote, crucified, certified dead on a Friday, buried, guard put in front of the tomb, but he comes back to life Sunday morning. That, that was the plan of God, to take away your sin and mine. But if you've never trusted in him, I want to invite you to do that right now. Trust him for the forgiveness of your sin. And he will give you life. That, that's what John said. Now, many of you in here have made that decision. I know many of you have. I want to remind you the commitment John the gospel writer and John the Baptist had to this mission. First of all, they're following Jesus. Jesus died for your sin. John the Baptist dies standing for God. Herod takes uh, his brother's wife and John the Baptist says, no, no, that's not right. That's not good. And he won't shut up and he basically loses his head, standing for God. John, the gospel writer, was boiled in oil. Somehow he survives that. But at the end of his life, he was banished to the island of Patmos. He lived in exile. Of the remaining 11 disciples, he was the only one that wasn't martyred. These people gave their life for you and me that we might know this truth. Would we follow them in that commitment? In what? Particularly in making Christ known to those around us. Those in our sphere of influence. Family, friends, co-workers, students at school. Well, Andy, I don't know. I don't know very much. That's okay. That's okay. Build a relationship with people. Get to know their story. We have three basic needs. Uh, we have a need to belong. So people go through 
a loss of belonging. Maybe they move, maybe they lose a loved one, they lose a spouse, they lose a, a grandparent, they lose, and, and we, we meet people at their point of need and said, you know, I hurt with you, there's a need to belong. You know, Jesus ultimately meets our need to belong. He said, I take you as you are. We, we invite, we point them there in their loss. There's a need for significance. Your friend, she went out for the volleyball team and she was going to be the next Jordan Larson, but she got cut. Sally, there's only one Jordan Larson every, every generation. And, and there's, there's devastation. I got cut from the team. That's a need for significance. In their time of hurt, can we say, you know, ultimately Jesus wants to meet that need for significance. There's a need for security. That's me. My parents grew up in the Depression and stressed out about everything, but the person loses a job. That The market turns and their, their retirement is cut in half like that. There's a need for security. Nothing wrong planning for the future, but ultimately Jesus meets our need for security. This mission matters. John the Baptist shows us this mission matters. Would we be people involved with the mission, just connecting with those around us, hearing their story, telling them our story, and showing them how Jesus meets our deepest needs in life? A while back, I was on my news app, and I was intrigued. There was an, article, uh, an interview, short interview, with an American soldier who was fighting in Ukraine. What are you doing here? That's the, that was the gist of the interview. Well, this guy said, you know, I fought in Afghanistan, and there were Ukrainian troops alongside of me, and, and he said, I'm, I'm offended. Uh, their, their, their freedom has been uh, violated, and so I'm going to stand with them. And, and the thought was, you're very noble because you're not Ukrainian by birth. You're an American from generations back, and you showed up. Good for you. Do you understand? Jesus showed up with that in mind. I mean, it wasn't, wasn't his problem. That brought me. It was your problem, and it was my problem. It was our willful disobedience and our choice. And Jesus showed up. Why? Because I care. I'm going to do what I can to reestablish, to allow you to reconnect with God. Jesus didn't show up to flex. He didn't show up to impress. He showed up to sacrifice. He's the Lamb of God, the only Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world.